House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome, Charles Lockman. I wanted to thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Great. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Let's start out with telling the listeners um, who you are before we get into the book. Well, uh, uh, my name is Charles Lockman, uh, as you said, and I'm a, uh, a TV producer in New York, and I also write uh, nonfiction books. And my latest effort is Footsteps in the Snow, which is the story of the coldest case in U.S. history ever to be brought to justice. And it was really uh, a uh, three-year uh, uh, effort on my part to research uh, this historically important case and and uh, the writing of it and the final publication of it uh, has really given me a lot of uh, of uh, pleasure and uh, and uh, and I'm very proud of the book. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Um, let's start with uh, why why did you get into writing this book? Like, what led you into the uh, into the footsteps in the snow? Well, to me, uh, it was a uh, nonfiction thriller that was as gripping as any fictional police procedure, uh, procedural, uh, but it had the added uh, uh, measure of being true. Uh, I was interested in uh, it as a multi-generational saga. I had written uh, some previous history books about uh, the uh, uh, family of Abraham Lincoln and also a Grover Cleveland history, and I, I liked the sort of saga of those uh, two histories, and uh, in looking at the true crime genre, I felt that this was a uh, really a unique uh, once-in-a-lifetime story that uh, uh, had uh, elements of history, true crime, uh, and also exposed these unspeakable secrets in uh, one particular American family and the cruelty lurking behind the traditional values of a small town in middle America. It's quite different than your um, yeah your previous books. Where did you start when you, this is like you said, three years of research. How do you start with a case that's um, from 1957, that's so long ago? Well, uh, the I first heard about the case uh, in uh, a small kind of item in the New York Times. I was uh, at home with my wife reading through the Sunday Times, and there's this just a little kind of couple of paragraphs uh, story about how this guy had been arrested uh, he was in his uh, 70s, and he had uh, allegedly committed this crime, uh, the, the murder, the kidnapping and murder of a seven-year-old girl uh, uh, more than uh, a half century uh, earlier. And that instantly fascinated me. I mean, it was an irresistible headline for me uh, to investigate the coldest case in U.S. history and how you could possibly bring the evidence together, make an arrest, and go to trial. So... It was a uh, it was a unique uh, case for the uh, police and the prosecutors, and it's also a unique uh, story for me to research. Uh, the uh, I, I was then I went to uh, Sycamore, Illinois, which is where this takes takes place, and and I was struck by the uh, defendant's physical appearance. I mean, he was this kind of elderly gent with silver hair, and on the surface, sort of the perfect. Uh, granddad and to see uh, that uh, uh, how he could uh, be responsible for this, the, what was the worst crime 
uh, in this small town's uh, uh, history was really quite uh, remarkable and uh, led to this investigation on my part and the book. Uh, let's tell the listeners about the crime. So uh, what exactly happened back then? It started uh, the night of December 3rd, 1957, in uh, Sycamore, Illinois, which is about an hour and a half outside Chicago. A lot of people who grew up there uh, call it uh, Mayberry. It reminded them of that. Uh, a great little uh, small town, a great place to raise a family. And uh, on this particular night, it was the first snowfall of the winter season. And the little girl, her name... Uh, was uh, Maria Ridolf asked her mother if she could go out and play with her best friend Kathy. So uh, uh, Maria went out. It was about 6 p.m. at night. It was a school night, uh, Tuesday night, and she and Kathy were playing in the snow, and they were enjoying themselves when suddenly out of the snowfall came uh, this uh, young uh, man. He uh, wore a uh, multicolored sweater. He was uh, tallish. Uh, he had... Uh, kind of blondish hair, he wore a hat, uh, and he said his name was Johnny, and he engaged the two girls in the conversation. Now, uh, uh, this was 1957, again, small-town America, and even though the kids had been warned to stay away from strangers, it was a more innocent time. Uh, in today's age, as we uh, uh, know, if a stranger came up to two uh, little girls playing on the street, and introduced himself and started uh, interacting with them, all our uh, antennas would be uh, quivering and wondering what, what, what's wrong with this dude. Uh, but back then, um, more innocent time, and uh, the uh, uh, young man, Johnny, um, asked, uh, gave Maria a piggyback ride, <coughs> and uh, she was delighted. And then he asked her to go uh, find a doll uh, for them to kind of play with, and she ran back home came back immediately with her favorite uh, little uh, rubber doll and uh, meanwhile her best friend Kathy went to her house to retrieve her mittens because it was, very, it was a very cold night and she was uh, freezing and uh, when she came back uh, Johnny was gone and more importantly uh, little Maria was gone so the last uh, that uh, Kathy saw Maria was uh, uh, getting on Johnny's back and going for this piggyback ride and presumably Johnny uh, uh, took off with her to uh, whereabouts unknown. And uh, that uh, kidnapping uh, uh, unleashed a uh, immediate uh, search by the uh, townspeople. They went uh, throughout the neighborhood, throughout the city or the town, searching for Maria. But uh, the, uh, the trail uh, quickly grew cold, and all that was really left was this trail of, of uh, an adult's uh, footsteps uh, in the snow, hence the title of my book. This was a small town, and um, so this fellow named Johnny came up and talked to the kids. And so did they know who this Johnny was? You know, being a small town, and uh, you tend to know your neighbors and, and people around you, especially back then, like you said, the times were more innocent. Right, You. Uh, that's absolutely true. You do tend to know uh, your neighbors. Uh, in this particular case, uh, 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 Kathy, the lone uh, witness, uh, she was eight years old. She could uh, not uh, identify uh, Johnny. She gave a, a very um, uh, a detailed physical description of, you, uh, of, of, of what he looked like, about 18, uh, blondish hair, as I say, tallish. He had 
very crooked, uh, weird teeth, uh, as she uh, described it, and again, the clothing that he wore. Uh, but she uh, told the police that she had never uh, seen him before, which immediately made police uh, conclude that he must have been from out of town. Uh, it later was determined that the, he, Johnny, lived only a block and a half away from where uh, Kathy, the witness, and Maria lived. Uh, but he was uh, a young man in his uh, late teens. He was uh, 18 at the time of the kidnapping. And uh, Kathy was eight, Maria was seven. So a seven-year-old really doesn't interact with an uh, uh, 18-year-old, which uh, could explain why she didn't recognize him immediately as being somebody who lived in the, in the neighborhood. And so did, um, did they eventually go around and knock on his door? Did anybody approach his family uh, at the time they were searching? Uh, they did. Uh, the police received the tip that they should check out this kind of uh, weird, uh, weird uh, guy who lived in the neighborhood, uh, and uh, very quickly the police uh, were knocking on the door of the Tessier uh, family. They, as I say, lived about a block and a half from where the kidnapping took place. Uh, his name was Johnny, uh, so that name matched. The physical description matched. He had crooked teeth. He was known to wear this sort of favorite multicolored uh, uh, sweater, which his mother uh, had knitted for him. And uh, he immediately became the uh, number one suspect. So the FBI uh, uh, took him to their uh, command post, which was a uh, motel on the outskirts of uh, Sycamore, and they proceeded to strap him in and give him a uh, lie detector test. They even brought in uh, their best uh, polygraph examiner from the uh, headquarters in Washington. Lo and behold, he passes. The lie detector indicated that uh, he was uh, not uh, uh, responsible for this crime, and he absolutely denied it. And then uh, they questioned his parents, uh, Eileen and uh, Ralph Tessier, and they vouched for him. They gave him a uh, alibi. Uh, they said that he was 40 miles away in the city of uh, Rockford, Illinois, uh, at the time that Maria was kidnapped. And then to kind of put it all in a nutshell, the police obtained a uh, 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 from the phone the local phone company uh, the uh, information the evidence that Johnny had made a collect call to his uh, parents' house um, the night of uh, the uh, the kidnapping and uh, determined that he couldn't have been in two places at the same time he was forty miles away so all those three very critical uh, uh, points the the fact that he was cleared by the polygraph machine, the fact that he had what seemed to be an ironclad alibi, and uh, the uh, fact that uh, he made this uh, uh, collect phone call, uh, presumably at the time of the kidnapping, all meant that uh, he was uh, cleared by the FBI in 1957. And then he uh, uh, went into the uh, armed forces. He entered uh, the uh, Air Force, and he uh, left uh, Sycamore, fundamentally never to return. Right. And so the, the polygraphs back then, were they fairly new, and how good were they? Like, I mean, he passed it. Oh, well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, the polygraph uh, machine had been around for a couple of decades prior to uh, 1957. Uh, the FBI had a lot of faith in uh, the polygraph uh, machine, 
It was only uh, years later uh, when uh, uh, psychologists, shrinks, and other uh, uh, criminologists, law enforcement personnel began really examining the efficacy of the polygraph uh, machine. Was it determined that uh, uh, a uh, psychopath who uh, believes in his own set of lies could uh, conceivably pass a polygraph uh, test? Uh, right now, uh, as you, I'm sure you know, polygraphs are not admissible in the court of law. It's considered to be an investigative tool only uh, and not uh, real uh, black and white evidence that's admissible in court. But uh, law enforcement likes using it uh, because uh, uh, you uh, go up to a suspect and you uh, ask them to take a lie detector test and whether he, sh- he says yes or he says no, it's all, all useful in terms of the, uh, of the police investigation. But uh, it really is a quasi-science. It's not uh, anything that's definitive. But as a law enforcement tool, part of the package of tools that the uh, that 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 police use to nail a suspect, it's it's quite useful. Right. And so now, so he's uh, kind of uh, cleared, kind of gone gone away. Uh, was there other people that stuck out? Like you said, you know, he was kind of known as being a little bit of a uh, you know a little off. Uh, were there other ones out there, or were there other people that came forward and said, hey, I did it, or I know who did it? There were uh, dozens and dozens of people who came under investigation. Uh, every uh, hotel in Sycamore uh, was uh, looked at looked at in terms of the guests. Uh, they, because of the uh, description of the suspect, Johnny's teeth has been crooked, all dentists in the town were uh, uh, were uh, asked whether any of their patients uh, bore his physical description of, uh, of the kidnapper. Uh, they went to uh, all the flop houses and local uh, hangouts. Back then, it was uh, gas stations and uh, and the uh, the uh, bus depot. Uh, and, uh, and they also uh, investigated every. Um, uh, uh, mental uh, patient who had been recently released from the Illinois uh, uh, mental uh, asylum. Uh, they investigated uh, uh, pr- uh, prior uh, uh, prisoners who had a history of pedophilia and uh, anyone who was arrested for uh, crimes against uh, little kids at that time uh, were really investigated and, and, uh, and probed. So there are a lot of suspects who uh, went in and out in terms of uh, the attention of the uh, local police and the state police, but uh, it was all pretty much a vapor, a cloud. It was like trying to grab onto a ghost. Uh, nothing really uh, uh, delivered. Mm-hmm. So for the next uh, 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 five decades, it remained uh, uh, Sycamore's greatest uh, unsolved mystery. And so were, were there other cases the same, or was this kind of a spotlight? Did it really stick out? Uh, did it make the news and uh, nationally known, or was it just kind of local? It was a national, a big national story for a, a time. In fact, uh, President uh, uh, Eisenhower was uh, interested in the case, and he asked uh, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover to personally uh, keep him informed about uh, any progress in the investigation. It got so that Hoover himself was coordinating and directing the investigation from headquarters in Washington. And if you look at the uh, 
internal FBI documents and memos, uh, you realize very quickly that uh, Hoover's involvement did not help. It really kind of um, uh, uh, created a uh, giant bureaucracy. The FBI couldn't even make a move. The local agents couldn't make a move without Hoover signing off on it. And uh, it was part of the kind of dis- overall dysfunction of uh, the uh, the investigation. Uh, no one uh, in law enforcement ever showed Kathy, the lone eight-year-old uh, witness, uh, to the kidnapping. They never showed a photo of uh, Johnny uh, Tessier to her. She was only shown a photo of him in, uh, uh, in uh, I think the year was uh, 2011, uh, just prior to his arrest. And uh, imagine, uh, just consider that Kathy had been shown hundreds, even thousands of mugshots. She was just this little kid. She couldn't believe there were all these bad people in the world. She was taken out of school, uh, driven to um, uh, uh, police lineups to uh, see if she could recognize any of the suspects that were uh, being picked up and questioned by the police. And she never really was able to positively, posit- positively identify uh, anyone. So uh, the local case was first uh, being uh, driven by the FBI agents by the end of uh, Christmas time. The FBI pulled out. Uh, it was uh, turned over to the local authorities, but this was a small town. They didn't really have the experience or the know-how to probe a story of a case of this importance. And the case, uh, the investigation just withered. At some point the, after uh, Maria Riddle's body was found in 1958, the, um, the uh, uh, state police took over. But by then, the trail had grown uh, cold. We're talking about Footsteps in Snow with author Charles Lockman. We'll be back right after these words. This is the sound of salmonella gyrating on your undercooked chicken. And it looks like Mom might be taking it out a little early. Don't let salmonella get funky with your chicken. On average, one in six Americans will get a foodborne illness this year. So use a thermometer to cook each type of meat to the right temperature. Keep your family safe at foodsafety.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. I make learning a privilege, not a chore. And frustration, a tool, not an obstacle. I'm a teacher. I make more. Make more. Teach. Visit teach.org. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. December 3rd, 1957 was the day that Maria was kidnapped. I was 11 years old. My sister Maria was very friendly, trusting, and outgoing. Johnny Tessier, now known as Jack McCullough. Just five doors down is where Jack lived. Jack was known as being very strange. Once the police were alerted, it is surprising how quickly the entire town was mobilized. If you can imagine armed citizens walking the streets with shotguns and rifles and handguns tucked in their waistband, knocking on your door. Everybody looked for Maria. She just disappeared off the face of the earth. When my mother was dying of cancer in 1994, she was hospitalized. She called my name, she grabbed my wrist, and she said, the one little girl that disappeared, John, did it, and you have to tell someone. 
It was shortly before my mother died that I called the Sycamore police. I did what I thought was right. I fulfilled a promise to my mother, and Maria is finally at peace. It's not been easy. It's been hell at times. It's taken a toll on everybody. When my mother made this confession, did I think my brother was capable of this? Absolutely, I thought Jack was capable of this. Absolutely. Jack had been accused of molesting other girls, too. I believe Jack is an evil man. I saw the evil in Jack's face. I've seen it since in his interviews. Where is the proof beyond a reasonable doubt? There's nobody to testify on, on my behalf. They're all dead. That's the problem with getting old. Jack McCullough is a sad, pathetic man. He's a waste of flesh and deserves to sit in prison for the rest of his life. I feel my stepfather, Jack McCullough, was wrongfully convicted of murder. This is so upsetting because I love Jack. My original reaction to Jack being arrested was complete disbelief. I was blindsided by it. I've never been afraid of Jack. I've never witnessed any erratic or inappropriate behavior with Jack. In the 20 plus years that I've known Jack, I've always thought of him as a good, trustworthy man. I look at Jack and I see an innocent man. There's a lot of anger for me with this. When Jack was arrested, the only evidence they had was Janet Tessier's statement of her mother's deathbed confession and Kathy Chapman's photo ID, and that was it. Janet Tessier has been the instigator and driving force behind this trial. She was a practicing alcoholic and drug addict. I think it's disturbing when somebody will use government agencies as a personal tool of vengeance. And there does seem to be a pattern with Janet with that. The judge that presided over the murder case had never presided over a murder case before. Three jailhouse informants testified at the trial that Jack had talked to them about killing Maria. All three inmates had something to gain. One of the first men to come forward has already recanted his story in a letter he wrote to Jack. I was completely shocked when he was found guilty. I have always felt that this was just Jack was the last man standing and the prosecution, they reworked the timeline 57 years later so it would fit Jack. They needed to close the case. This is scary that this evidence, you can lose your life over. Did you abuse your sister as she was growing up? You did, didn't you? My sister and I were very close. What do you mean that you were very close with your sister? We're done with this. Why are you unwilling to talk about these accusations of rape? It has nothing to do with murder. But it has something to do with, about, with your character. It says a lot about you. I may, have, I may have been a sinner, but I'm not a murderer. Is it possible, then, that you were acquitted of what you did do and convicted of what you didn't? That could be. How long was it before they found the body, actually? Four months. The body was found in April um, by a, a husband and wife who were on vacation in uh, northern Illinois. They were mushroom hunting. And uh, they were in the uh, forest. Uh, they came upon a uh, log, and they thought at first it was a small animal. Uh, and then they took a close look and realized it was the uh, body of a little girl. And uh, this was about uh, 100 miles away from uh, where Maria had been uh, kidnapped. Of course, uh, uh, we don't uh, 
uh, no, uh, the, the uh, autopsy was not able to determine her cause of death. Uh, animals had gotten to the uh, to the body, and uh, and it added to uh, the failure on the part of the uh, local law enforcement authorities in trying to figure out who did it. They were not able to identify a cause of death. So we don't we don't really have a specific reason on on why he uh, took the girl and ended up killing her. How, how long did they think she was alive before she had died? Like it was four months they, Right. They don't really know. The presumption is that she was killed either the night of or the next day. But that's just speculation. Right. Now, was this the only girl that went missing at that time? There uh, is no evidence to indicate that uh, Johnny, the kidnapper-killer, was responsible for any other case in Illinois at that time. It was a uh, a year, almost exactly a year before Maria was was kidnapped. Uh, the Grime uh, sisters, uh, uh, who uh, lived in Chicago, uh, were reported to missing, and it was a huge uh, story back then in 1956. Uh, the bodies were eventually reco- uh, found, uh, and to this day, uh, that. Um, uh, that case remains uh, unsolved. But there's no evidence to link Maria Ridolf to the Grimes sisters. Right. And so you kind of are, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but you're sort of making it sound like the investigation wasn't really the best-run investigation. Um, it was uh, completely dysfunctional. Really? Now, with all the pressure of, of people, why why was it so dysfunctional? Just because too many people involved, like FBI? Too many, they, everyone was involved and no one. When the FBI uh, bailed out, uh, it really, uh, uh, as I say, uh, uh, it left the investigation into the hands of the uh, local police. And then when Maria's body was found uh, in the state of Illinois, uh, it meant that uh, the FBI... Uh, uh, fundamentally didn't have any real jurisdiction over it because the body had not been uh, transported across uh, state lines. They offered themselves up as experts and uh, any help that they could provide the state police and the local authorities was uh, was offered, but it, at that point uh, it was really in the hands of the state police. Right. And they also, now, that, now in the 70s I understand that they actually said they had caught the murderer, didn't they? But it wasn't real. Right. In the 70s, uh, a uh, local uh, detective in Sycamore became interested in the case. Uh, it's a very interesting story. He was uh, at his desk one day, and a uh, lady came in and said, uh, I know who killed uh, Maria Ridolph. And he didn't even know who Maria Ridolph was. He had not been born in uh, Sycamore and was not uh, totally uh, uh, tuned into uh, local history. And uh, this woman was kind of a, a local character, and she had no useful information at all regarding uh, uh, Maria's death. But it intrigued uh, the uh, the detective, and he spent uh, a lot of hours uh, looking into the case to unsolve uh, Sycamore's uh, great uh, mystery. And uh, in the 1970s, he uh, reached the conclusion that a, a truck driver by the name of William Henry Redmond had um, had uh, been responsible for killing Maria. Uh, Redmond was a, uh, a truck driver from Nebraska who uh, was 
in jail in Pennsylvania for strangling a little girl at a carnival. And he was a uh, notorious uh, character. The uh, police tried to kind of pin a lot of unsolved uh, child murder cases on him because he, as a truck driver, crisscrossed the country. And uh, consequently, uh, uh, they tried to, uh, he became uh, a suspect in a number of other uh, cases. And this uh, Sycamore detective became pretty much convinced that Redmond was responsible. And in fact, there was a flurry of articles uh, in Sycamore uh, locally uh, that um, by uh, that uh, the Maria Ridolf case had been solved uh, about 25 years after after her murder. And of course, we now know that that's not uh, that's that's not true. Right. How how did the family and everybody uh, take to that? The family was uh, the the Ridolfs were uh, called in for a briefing, a private briefing by the detective. It was the uh, parents were still alive. Uh, and uh, Maria's brother Chuck and her uh, two sisters, the Pat and Kay. And um, they, the, for the father, uh, Mike uh, Ridolph, was this uh, by then a, a very elderly man. And uh, he, uh, he was not interested in, uh, in the information, really. Uh, he, uh, he just felt, you know, what, what's the point? Maria is gone and this guy... Uh, Redmond is dead, so it didn't make uh, a lot of sense to him. To him. The uh, siblings were more interested, but they were very uh, dubious about uh, this, this detective's uh, conclusion because, one, uh, the ages didn't match. According to Kathy, the lone witness, uh, Johnny was uh, in his late teens, but Redmond would have been about uh, 34 at the time of Maria's kidnapping. And the physical description also didn't match uh, the hair color, the height. Uh, the only thing that uh, made sense was <clears throat> the fact that uh, Redmond was a uh, truck driver who was believed to have been uh, working in Illinois at the time of Maria's uh, abduction. Huh. So the family was dubious. The best friend, Kathy, the witness, how did, how did this all this kind of affect her? Like, um, was there guilt? How how is she doing with all this? Well, that's a good question. Uh, from the uh, night of Maria's kidnapping, through all those years that passed, Kathy made it her mission to uh, search for uh, Johnny. Uh, and she was in a terrible position. A lot of uh, parents didn't want uh, Kathy playing with their uh, children anymore after the kidnapping. Why? Because there's always a concern that uh, Johnny, the killer kidnapper, would come back one day to Sycamore and take uh, the uh, lone witness, Kathy. So people were afraid, the uh, little kids were afraid to hang out with Kathy, and she became so uncomfortable, uh, her parents um, uh, uh, moved uh, out of the neighborhood. And uh, all through the years that passed, Kathy, who's this wonderful, wonderful woman, uh, 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 made it her mission to find uh, Johnny. What would she do? She would, whenever she was on vacation, whenever she was walking down the street, she would look into into the faces of strangers, and uh, the image of Johnny, the kidnapper, was <coughs> imprinted uh, on her mind. And she knew that if she ever ran into this uh, guy, she would be able to identify him. Then, of course, the 1970s come, and uh, this uh, detective makes the big announcement that he believes he had solved uh, the uh, 
the mystery that this uh, truck driver from Nebraska was responsible. And after that point, Kathy told me that she basically stopped stopped looking. She thought the case was solved. It was only again in, 19, in 2012 or 2011 when the uh, uh, state police reopened the case and, and showed her the uh, an array of photos uh, that included Johnny uh, Tessier. Did she? It was the first time she'd ever seen the photo. She she couldn't believe that this had never been shown to her when the case was alive and kicking back in 1957. She couldn't believe that she had never been shown that photo. Had it been shown to her, she said that she would have immediately identified him as the kidnapper. I'll tell you another story about how uh, uh, this case affected the Kathy when she was uh, dating the uh, young man uh, who became, uh, who would later become her husband. They met at a bowling alley. His name was Mike, great guy, uh, and Mike uh, told his uh, mom that uh, he was dating this uh, this girl, he was in love with her, blah, blah, blah. And the mom said, what's her name? And, and Mike said, it's uh, Kathy, uh, Kathy Sigmund. And the mom said, do you know who she is? She's the little girl who's with Maria Ridolph. And uh, no one wanted to be around Kathy. So life for her in the early years in particular were, 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 were very, was very difficult. Yeah, yeah no, it must have been. Uh, plus all the feelings, too, of, of guilt as you get older, too, right? Uh, totally. Could it have been uh, Kathy who was kidnapped in, in place of, uh, instead of uh, Maria? Absolutely. It was really a uh, fate that, uh, that picked uh, Maria over uh, Kathy. Why was Kathy spared and Maria taken? Well, it could very well have been the fact that her little hands were cold and she ran home to get her mittens, leaving Johnny the opportunity to take uh, to take Maria. Yeah, that's something that's, how could you ever forget? How did they actually end up finding him or, or getting this kind of solved? Well, it's really a fascinating story. <clears throat> uh, uh, a, um, uh, a woman named uh, Eileen Tessier, Johnny's uh, mom, was dying of cancer and uh, she was in a hospital room uh, outside uh, Chicago uh, and uh, her uh, daughter uh, uh, Janet was in the room and uh, uh, Eileen the mom was kind of slipping in and out of consciousness and uh, suddenly she kind of awoke and said uh, Jan come here come here and her uh, daughter Jan went to her uh, and held her, her her little bony hand and said, what is it, Mom? And uh, Eileen, the mom, said, Johnny, those two little girls, Johnny did it. And Jan couldn't believe what she was hearing. She instantly knew that uh, her mom must be referring to uh, the Maria Ridolph case. So uh, what did uh, Jan do? Well, she did what a good citizen should do, even though it was her own brother, uh, who was uh, the the the, uh, the suspect? She notified the uh, local police, Sycamore Police, and a detective did come to uh, interview her. But when the detective uh, found out that uh, the uh, information was coming from a, uh, a near comatose uh, dying uh, cancer patient, he basically said, "There's nothing we can do with this information," and that was the end of that investigation. Years later, Jan uh, called uh, the FBI in Chicago and tried to get them interested in the case. And they said, uh, well, you really should notify the local police. And Jan said, well, I did. 
and the FBI said, uh, well, that's the best advice we can give. Then more years passed, and finally in 2008, Jan decides to send a, a email to the uh, state police in Illinois, and she, uh, in a brief way, outlined the circumstances of the case and the new information, uh, meaning her mom's deathbed confession, and she hits send, not really expecting anyone to uh, answer. Lo and behold, the next day she gets a call from a captain uh, from the state police in Illinois who says, uh, come up and talk to us. And she did. She drove up uh, a couple of days later to the uh, state police in, um, in Illinois um, and uh, uh, sat down with uh, these bulldog investigators who were instantly fascinated by the historical importance of, of the case. And uh, what happened then was uh, the launching of a uh, of an investigation that was finally wrapped up in uh, in 2011 with the arrest of uh, Johnny Tessier. By then, he had changed his name. He was now known as Jack uh, McCulloch, and he was living in Seattle. When they caught him, did you get a chance to go in and actually interview him yourself? Oh yeah, I uh, I interviewed him uh, in uh, jail in Illinois, and we exchanged a lot of uh, of letters. And uh, <clears throat> we also interviewed him for a documentary uh, called Footsteps in the Snow that was based on the book. So I've had uh, hours and hours of conversation with uh, Jack McCulloch, uh, or a.k.a. Uh, Johnny Tessier. And uh, to this day, he absolutely insists that he is innocent. Uh, I think on his deathbed, uh, when that uh, comes, he will insist on his innocence. And... Uh, Maybe he even believes he is innocent, but maybe that's part of his pathology. He insists that the timeline uh, proves that he couldn't have been in two places at once and that he's innocent. But uh, I think that that alibi has been you know, successfully shot down at his, uh, 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 with, the, uh, with the results of the police investigation. Right. And so... Um how how do you feel about it? Like when you talked to him, did you feel he was kind of uh, like he really believed in what he said, or do you think he was just uh, there's something wrong with him, maybe? Or well, I think uh, knowing his history and and having researched his life and knowing all the uh, uh, bizarre episodes in his life that he was involved in, uh, and uh, I, I I believe that justice was served. I think that. Uh, uh, the trial, uh, uh, the investigation, and the resulting conviction uh, were all absolutely on target. I think that Maria's killer is uh, in uh, the place where he should be, meaning a state penitentiary for the rest of his life. Yeah. So do you think that um, he had done any other crimes similar to it over all those years that he's been out and alive? Well, I want to be careful about uh, about, uh, about uh, answering that. Uh, right. The bottom line is that uh, there's no uh, evidence to indicate that he targeted a uh, any other little girl. I know that after his arrest, the local authorities in Washington State uh, probed and uh, and uh, and considered him a suspect in uh, in a number of other uh, missing uh, uh, child killings, but no. Uh, nothing was ever brought to before a grand jury, and uh, no arrests certainly were were made. But uh, in his life, uh, he 
uh, ended up becoming a police officer in a small town in uh, Washington State. And uh, in uh, uh, 1983, he pled guilty to uh, communicating with a minor for immoral purposes. What happened was that when he was uh, a cop in uh, the uh, uh, city of Milton, uh, he invited a, a teenage runaway to uh, uh, to uh, live with him. He was then dating some girl, and uh, uh, he ends up with his runaway in his house. And uh, the runaway describes an incident where uh, she... Um, where he really acted more like a uh, boyfriend than a uh, than a uh, adult uh, police officer. Uh, he uh, would uh, ask her to give him massages, and he would uh, teach her techniques of uh, giving a great uh, uh, massage. And one night, uh, she was alone with him when he uh, told her to uh, kind of spread out and uh, on the floor. I'm going to teach you how to give you a massage, and then. At a later date, uh, he um, he uh, went up to her uh, while she was sleeping on the couch in the living room, and uh, and performed an act that uh, led to his arrest and his uh, eventual guilty plea. So this guy has a lot on his plate in terms of a, of a notorious uh, uh, history. He does not have a unblemished unblemished uh, record by any means. So, uh, did you um, ever feel threatened or any negativity from him or anybody else during the research of the case? No, I, I didn't. I, I think uh, it would be silly of me to uh, <coughs> feel uh, in any way <coughs> threatened by uh, <coughs> by uh, by him. Uh, he's locked up in jail, uh, and uh, I certainly never said anything to me to indicate that. Uh, that I should be uh, worried. Uh, the uh, after the documentary aired on the uh, LMN network, he did watch it, and uh, he watched watched it with a group of uh, of fellow inmates. Um, this was in uh, November uh, last year, and uh, apparently uh, they get cable in uh, in state <laughs> prison. Um, and he sent me uh, a a letter. Uh, that uh, indicated that uh, once his uh, appeal was uh, adjudicated and he was uh, released from prison and determined to be innocent of this uh, of this crime, that uh, I'd have to do a lot of rewriting on my book and I'd have an uh, egg on my face. Well, uh, suffice to say that uh, just a few weeks ago, the state uh, uh, appeals court uh, uh, upheld the conviction, so I don't have to do much uh, rewriting at all. In fact, none. How did all the families respond? How did the family to the uh, um, murdered daughter feel? Uh, do they are they all relieved or happy, or they've sort of um, moved on in a way, or got some? Well, it's very interesting. The uh, Riddle family. Uh, uh, there are now two siblings uh, uh, left: Chuck and his sister Pat, and they were in court uh, every day. They have been really amazing in terms of uh, following the case and seeing justice done and uh, Chuck is a church deacon and uh, his life was forever impacted by what happened to his uh, little sister and curiously they've become very uh, close friends with uh, uh, the Tessier family this case would not have gone uh, uh, 
where it is now without uh, Jan Tessier, the killer's sister, uh, informing the state police of what her mother told her on her deathbed. And all her siblings, with the exception of the suspect, Johnny, or Jack as he's now known, are totally on board with her activity. In fact, they also attended the trial, and they uh, expressed their uh, appreciation and respect for the Ridolfs. They're all friends. They all have high regard for each other. And uh, I, in my experience, I've never seen any uh, anything like it, where the suspect's family are supportive of uh, the uh, the victim. And it was really quite remarkable to see. Uh, Jack McCulloch, uh, a.k.a. Johnny Tessier, does have his own support. He married his wife, Sue, lives in Seattle. Uh, she absolutely believes in his innocence, and, and so does her uh, daughter, Jamie, who has been at the forefront of the uh, uh, the online effort at uh, trying to prove that uh, her stepfather is innocent. Uh, Jack McCulloch is capable of getting support. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people in his family absolutely think he's a monster and other uh, people in his uh, step-family, if you will, believe that he's been railroaded. Now, how do people get a hold of you, or um, if they want to, uh, um, are you doing any book tours or any speaking events coming up? Uh, they can buy the book uh, at uh, any uh, good bookstore. Uh, it's probably in the true crime section. It's called Footsteps in the Snow. It certainly is available on all uh, the uh, uh, online uh, bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, uh, etc., and PAL Books. Um, and uh, it's also available as an e-book, obviously, so uh, either as a paperback or an e-book. Uh, I think it's a, uh, it's, uh, it's a great read. The critical reaction reception has been uh, terrific. Uh, the reviews have been great. But... Even more important, the the uh, people who have read it, uh, there's a vigorous uh, online uh, back and forth uh, regarding uh, the book, and it's been very gratifying to uh, read so many of the comments. Uh, people calling it one of the best best true crime uh, books they've uh, they've ever read. So it's been very very special. Oh, great. Thanks. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for doing the work and and bringing it to everybody's attention. And uh, thank you for coming on and taking the time to talk about it. Well, thank you so much. It's been a, a, a great talking to you. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere now. Download our free app now for the iPhone and iPad. Look for the Warren Exchange or House of Mystery app at the Apple App Store today. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. I'll be back.